Charles Dickens, you may know him as an author, classic author of the classics, Uh, The Christmas Carol is one of his stories. Uh, Come to find out recently that he wrote a book to his daughters, and it was the story of Christ, because he was a a Christian. And uh, one of his, one of my favorites uh, books, I'll be honest with you, I didn't read the book, but I saw the movie when I was in between the fifth and the sixth grade. And I remember very clearly uh, watching it on television matinee time. And it's the tale of two cities. It's also one of uh, Tim Keller's favorite books. And he thinks that it's the most beautiful story of Christ in this story. And I'll just tell you a, a, a brief message of how what's in the story is the hero of the book of the movie um, that was was in love with a woman but she was in love with another man now the setting of the tale of two cities is in the French Revolution time where they are uh, guillotining all these aristocrats and, and, and people and, but she was in love with another man, and that man was scheduled to be, have his head removed from his body. And so the man that loved her went in to visit him and switch places with him so that he could be with the woman that the man loved. So that the other man could be with the woman because she loved him. They looked a lot alike. As a matter of fact, if I recall, uh, the same man plays both parts in the movie. And of course, you might remember the movie for that famous quote by Marie Antoinette, which says, uh, the, the, the people have no bread to eat. And so she said, we'll let them eat cake. And uh, I don't know if that's exact from historical quote or is from literally just from the book. <clears throat> but it's a, a beautiful story. And there's another story that goes right with it is there was a, back in the, when that happened, they didn't just, you know, cut off the heads of the aristocrats, but they cut off their household, their maids, their cooks there, everybody had their heads chopped off. And there was this poor gal that was probably born into servitude and was having her head cut off and she was just crazy with fear. And then when she saw this man uh, trade places with the other man so that the other man could be with the woman that he loved, um, she came up to him and said, I was so frightened 
but you have given me courage to see what you did. Perfect example of Jesus Christ giving his life up in our place so that we can be with the one who loves us, the Heavenly Father. Beautiful, beautiful story. And, uh, but I just want to read to you something that is so pertinent to um, many examples. And uh, I knew that the book starts and ends with the same words. And it starts, and I frequently say this to, in, to my uh, people who say, How, how's it going in your life? And I will frequently answer them, it is the best of times, it is the worst of times. And of course, in the, in the setting, in the French Revolution, it was the best of times for what is happening in the, in the course of history. But it is also the worst of times. You know, if, if, you, if you remember reading the book or if you saw the uh, movie, there's a gal that's crocheting while one of the peasants... Knitting. Yes. There's a difference. Definitely. Absolutely. She's knitting. Uh, One of these days I'm going to find out what the difference is. I know there's a difference, though. She's knitting, you know. And every once in a while, she screams off with her heads, you know. Kind of like the Queen of Hearts, right? Well, I think it was the Queen of Hearts and Allison. This is actually how the book starts. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. Uh, It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. Um, just, just, Just so you know, I had to look up this word epoch. It's not epic, it's epoch. It's, uh, I wanted to call it epoch, but Siri corrected me. Epoch. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Siri is, it's my computer. <laughs> she, she, she scolds me once in a while. It means a period of time in history or a person's life. Typically one marked by notable events or, or particular characteristics. And incredulity, incredulity, that's another, I would have said incredulity, but uh, she corrected me on this one too, it's incredulity. Try saying that really fast. 
That word means the state. Listen, let me read the verses again. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. Incredulity, the state of being either unwilling or unable to believe something. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Uh, Let's go to Matthew 21. I want to show, I want to talk about uh, how this is true for today. This has been true on many occasions in the Word of God. And this is true for today as well as it was then. And I want to tell you how. But first, let's read Matthew 21. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage, one more comment about Bethphage. I, you may have remember me talking about that, Bethphage. That's a city that is uh, <clears throat> not heard of in history other than at this time and not heard of again except for this time. They are leaving, Jesus is leaving Bethany and Bethphage is basically at the foot of the Mount of Olives. Now, with the exception of the two days that he's about to, the uh, next two days, uh, he spends the rest of the time close to the, uh, at the foot of the Mount of Olives preaching. Not, not entirely, but when I say the rest of the time, the rest of the two weeks, or the week before he was, his arrest and his crucifixion. So this is his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And uh, there is something going on here. And it is the best of times and it is the worst of times. There's something amazing going on. It is the best of times for us. It is the worst of time for others. It is the best of times for ourselves um, <clears throat> Samuel Clemens once said the two most important days in a person's life is the day they were born and the day they find out why which is extremely sad for he never did he never found out why Charles Dickens did. (laughs) But he never found out why. I'm going to tell you why you were born. And it's going to be revealed in a condensed fashion on this weekend. It's actually the first day of the week and second day of the week. uh, It says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem... This is Palm Sunday, as it is known. They were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives. Then sent Jesus two of his disciples. 
saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if any man say unto you, The Lord hath need of them, uh, say unto you, Why are you doing this? You say, The Lord hath need of them. And straightway they'll let the donkey go. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughters of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh upon thee, meek and sitting upon a donkey, and a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. Then they brought the donkey and the colt, and they put their clothes on him and set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches from trees and strawed them in the way. And multitudes that went before and that followed cried, cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables and the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him and in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests, and this was really an extraordinary thing, because here is... Uh, the beginning, it's already began, but here's a beginning of how, why Jesus, or what Jesus is come to do. And uh, first he's coming to recall uh, Israel to repentance. And when they don't, this is the final, the final call. And when they don't, it is taken from them and given to the Gentiles. And so he says, when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things they did and the children crying in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. Can you, can you see how amazing that is? They were displeased that he did these wonderful things and in conjunction with that, the people crying Hosanna, and you've heard me talk about this, how that's what the priest did. And what you see here is a, a, a number, of th- number of things in play, but I made a comment at one point, uh, I think maybe last Sunday, I'm not sure, but I made a comment about how God is restoring to the Gentiles the priesthood. And my wife says, 
that's restoring it to the people, but it doesn't say to the priest. It was never the Gentiles' priesthood. You know, so she was saying, my my wife has she she shows me. I, I say two two of her major major purpose in life is to say, tell me what I should have said and to tell me what I shouldn't have said. And she's really good at it, you know. And I want her. I want. I want to know when I make mistakes. And she said, "When you said, restore the priesthood to the Gentiles, which I did. I said that." Um, she said, "That's a mistake." I said, "No, I didn't make. That was not a mistake." You see, because oh, we're going to go some. Let's 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 go to Amos the ninth chapter. Verse 11 and 12. When the Jews tried to bring the Gentile Christians underneath the law of Moses, they got together to have a discussion about it. You can find it in James, in the book of Acts, chapter 15. And in the book of Acts, Chapter 15, uh, Paul says why he doesn't believe, you know, it's, it's pretty clear why Paul doesn't believe it, that the Gentiles should be brought under the law of Moses. And then uh, Barnabas and uh, Peter says why they believe it. But then James, who was considered the pastor of Jerusalem, this is James, the brother of Jesus. History says he didn't really believe in his brother until after he was raised from the dead. But James says, to this I agree. He says, hearken ye all brethren, listen to me. To this I agree because it is written in the law or in the prophets this statement, and he says that the Gentiles shall be brought back under the household of God. Quote, put that. And he quotes this verse, and he says, and in that day, you know what that day is? Remember how we talked about in Psalm uh, 118, this is the day the Lord hath made. Every day is the day the Lord hath made, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, it's all about Jesus coming and being crucified. This is the day the Lord hath made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. In that day, in that day, will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen. Tabernacle of David is when David erected a tent in Jerusalem and brought the Ark of the Covenant back, not to the tabernacle of Moses, which was at Gibeon, but instead the tabernacle of David, the tent. And it was surrounded by praise and worship. Most of the Psalms were written during that time period, most of them. Asaph, who wrote a a lot of the Psalms, was uh, the choir leader and the music, the music director. And he wrote a lot of the Psalms. It says, in that day, 
I will raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof. And I will raise up its ruins and I will build it as in the days of old. Next verse, please. That they may possess the remnant, remnant or the residue of Edom. And then it says, and of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord that doeth this. I can only imagine, that's it. I can only imagine that James is quoting from these verses because uh, he, he, he changes Edom to the nations. Right? Now, I can only imagine that he's doing that because they mean the same thing, in a sense, or for another reason. Edom. Edom is the name that God gave Esau. Esau was the twin brother of Rachel. I mean, excuse me, Rebecca. Twin brother of Jacob, sons of Isaac and Rebekah. And so <clears throat> Esau was the one that came down out of the wilderness, starving. And Jacob had a bowl of pottage and he was cooking it. And he says to his Esau, says to his twin brother, you can, I think you'll find this in Genesis 22, if I'm not mistaken. 22 to 24. And so he says, I'm starving. Give me a bowl of that pottage. And Jacob says, I'll sell it to you for your birthright. I'll give it to you. And Esau, and I have to admit, I've got, I went through a period of time where I kind of was on Esau's side. I mean, it's your twin brother. You can't share a little bowl of soup with me. And then he says, what good will my birthright do me if I'm dead? He must have been really hungry. And so it says, God says, Esau despised his birthright. Now, what's so important about that? Why has that got to do with even what James is talking about or Amos 9 is talking about. Because you see, Edom or Esau, who was afterward named Edom, was the firstborn. The birthright was his. And Jacob's, Jacob means supplanter. One, one definition is just deceitful liar. So no wonder when he wrestled the angel, the only blessing the angel gave him was a change of names. <laughs> but although he was kind of like conning him out of his birthright, he still, <laughs> he still wanted it. And that's why it says in Malachi, God hated Esau and loved Jacob. He's talking about that attitude that he had. One had an attitude of temporal values. You can also read about him in Hebrews. 
The other one had a desire for eternal values. And that's what made the difference. And so Edom sold his birthright. I think in the back of his mind, he thought, my father isn't going to give you the birthright anyways. Nevertheless, he did. Now, there was elements of the birthright that were a blessing, but there were also elements of the birthright that was a responsibility and it was understood. And the birthright was this. You can find it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 is after Adam and Eve had sinned and God goes to Adam and Adam, he says, what have you done, Adam? He says, well, the woman that you gave me did give to me and I did eat. He not only blamed the woman, but he also blamed God. And then he goes to the woman and the woman says, the devil made me do it. And then God turns to the serpent and he curses him And then he says something very interesting. He says, a seed, this is 14, verse 14, 15, a seed that will come from woman. And he's going to crush your head. And you're going to bruise his heel. Now, see, Jacob and Esau would have known that. So it wasn't just a blessing that came with the birthright, but there was a major responsibility that was the first thing and first and foremost. And of course, later on, we find out that the the elder of the family was the one that had the priestal rights to operate under the priesthood. And so you have that situation. And so what happens is, is right here, see, God is bringing the birthright back to Edom. See, that's what's happening here. And so, and Edom, in that respect, represents the nations, the Gentiles. In the, in the Greek, it's the word ethnics, ethniso, you know. We get our word ethnic from it that they might possess the residue of Edom. The tabernacle of David has been established and it's our responsibility as we represent Edom. The birthright is being restored to us. That's why later on we'll find out that there is a connection between these three things, the priesthood, the restoration of the tabernacle of David, and the crushing of Satan's head. You see, Edom bought, sold his birthright. Jesus got it back for us. Now, are we going to... Now, here's where it comes into important play. First of all, I don't know about you, but I remember... Christmas Eve, 1971, when I was restored 
to the Lord. And I got my Bible out and started reading. And I started at Genesis. And I got to, oh, seed's going to come from woman and crush your head. And you are going to bruise his heel. This is why Satan tried to get rid of Cain and Abel. Cain was the firstborn. I'll, I'll disqualify him from being having the right to crush my head by putting hatred in his heart. So it's just in case it'll get passed on to Abel, I'll get rid of him too. And so Satan began his warfare to kill and destroy. And you will see that Ishmael, firstborn, disqualified. Is Esau, firstborn, disqualified. You would see an onslaught of Satan to disqualify the firstborn because he knows that there's going to be a firstborn from woman. You notice it didn't say from man and woman. And I remember reading that and I said, that's Jesus. You know, another epoch of time, of uh, the best of times, the worst of times, is the coming of Jesus. Who was the woman that would be giving the seed that was going to crush Satan's head? That's Mary. Mary says that most beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. It's called the Magnificat. She actually is saying it not upon the announcement by Gabriel that she's going to have a a son, but when she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And her Elizabeth says, I have heard the voice of the mother of my Lord. And uh, John the Baptist, who was in her womb, jumped, leapt, full of the Holy Ghost. And so it was then that Mary utters this Magnificat. And you can find it in Luke, the first chapter, starting about the 45th verse. John Michael Talbot made a beautiful song out of it. Um, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit exalts in God my Savior, for he has looked with mercy on my lowliness, and my name shall be forever exalted. For the mighty God has done great things for me, And his mercy shall reach from age to age. And holy, holy, holy is his name. That's the Magnificat put in the words of uh, uh, the translation that John Michael Talbot sings. And what she is proclaiming is the seed that is coming from her 
not from man, but from woman and the Holy Ghost. It's the best of times. It is the worst of times. It is the best of times because something wonderful is happening when Jesus is going in. It's the best of times for us when Jesus is going into Jerusalem. There is a transition that's going on. Our church is going through a transition. I personally am going through a transition. That means I'm going to be moving on to something else. And our church is going to be moving on. And you know, there's a transition. We get older. It's like General MacArthur used to say, old soldiers never die. They just fade away. We get older, but it doesn't mean we're done. In one respect, we're just beginning. And in the same, it just coincides, in the same way that there's a transition going on, starting with the, well, it, we begin at the life of Christ, but it's starting to come to a head on Palm Sunday and the next day. The same thing that is going on then is going on now. This is the best of times. If you know why God created you, and it's going to be the worst of times too. Look at what's going on in the world today. Now I know that they could always say that sometime in the past. But I'm telling you, we got states that is making it illegal for abortion. We got other states that you can have the baby born and not like it and have it put to death. You say that's a little little exaggeration. I don't think so. That's exactly what's going on in the world today. Sex slavery, out of sight, out of mind, multiple hundreds of thousands of children, young girls put into sex slavery. I mean, things are happening in this world and there's going to be even a greater polarization The polarization is going to be what? Christ is coming. (laughs) I saw, I was watching um, America's Got Talent. And they had this guy come on there. And he had this great big old puppet. It looked like Big Bird, you know, on a hand. (laughs) And so he was a ventriloquist. And he was asking questions, and the audience was answering, and people were answering, and then the bird would answer, you know. You know, it, it kind of reminded me of Johnny Carson, of the great Carmack, where he wrote the big thing, and he would answer questions, you know. The only one I 
question I ever remember is he, he answered this question. I actually two. I'll just share one. He goes, he says, El Paso. And Ed, Mc, Ed McMahon, was it Ed? Not Ed McMahon, Ed. Yeah. Blows in the envelope and he comes out and he says, what does a Mexican quarterback does if he does an El Rano or El Kiko? El Paso. Of course, if you know Spanish, El Paso means the pass. So people were given the common answer. And then Big Bird was given its answer. And he gets the last question. He says, uh, who said this? I'll be back. Who? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Big, the bird looks at him and says, Jesus Christ. <laughs> what, what a word from the Lord to millions of people at the same time. I'll be back. <laughs> whoa, whoa. I was like, yes, yes. And they laughed and I said, you're laughing now, but you won't be laughing long, you know. And there's a polarization that is happening in the world today. And the good's going to get gooder and the bad's going to get badder. It's, it's the truth. We are in the best of times. We are in the worst of times. We're in the age of wisdom. We are in the age of foolishness. We are at, in the epoch of belief. We are in the epoch of incredulity. Credulity. You know, that's uh, incredulity. I, I love that word. The statement of being either unwilling or unable to believe. Wow. And so this is, G, this is Mary proclaiming. We can be like Mary. We can be proclaiming the greatness of the Lord. The beauty of the Lord. But Jesus was, and he comes into, and look at, look at the attitude here. They saw the wonderful things he did. Well, first of all, they're, 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 they're long angry before this. They didn't like it when the crowd was saying Hosanna and Hosanna. They didn't like that. The priest, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious order of that time. They didn't like it. They all come at him, every one of them. But it started off with him coming into the the halls, it's called the halls of the Gentiles. Did you hear that? Yeah. Raise your hand if you're a Gentile. Yeah. Amen. The halls of the Gentiles. Then he beats the money changers out of that. was their number one. They, they, somebody, once, somebody said one time that they went back and when, they, when uh, the Romans leveled the, the, the temple. Um, 
who was that? Um, Philip. Philip the Caesar. What was it? that? Was his name? Was it? Titus. Titus. Titus leveled the temple. They found the equivalent of billions of dollars that had been stashed by the priest making money off these. They, they would sell up, upwards of 250,000 lambs in one week. Big money, big money. He beats them out of the... That'd make them mad. You're taking away my number one income here. But what made them even matter was when he says, my house shall be a house of prayer. Whoa. They did not consider the halls of the Gentile God's house. That was on the inner court where they were, where they worked. How dare him call that God's house? My house shall be a house of prayer. They're already mad. So it wasn't just seeing the wonderful thing. See, do you understand why? The wonderful things that that he did upset them so much because, see, they're already upset. And then the fact that he's doing these wonderful things just makes them matter because it's it's like showing that he's legit and they don't like that. They don't want him showing every for the next two days. There's multiple parables Palm Sunday, the day after, in the courts of the Gentiles. If you see, uh, if you watch the greatest story ever told, or Jesus of Nazareth, you'll see him come in just a little bit into the inner court, but that's it. <laughs> but you see, then they, they, they're testing him, testing him, testing. And he starts off, and one of the first parables he comes up with is there were two sons. One said, well, first of all, they said, by what authority do you do these things? And he says, well, okay, I'll answer your question if you'll answer my question first. The, the, the ministry of John the Baptist, was it of God or not? And they reasoned within themselves saying, if we say it's not of God. These people like John the Baptist. They might do something to us. They, you know, if they say it is of God, why didn't you believe him? Because he's the one that proclaimed my coming. He's the one that said something about my coming. And they said, we cannot answer. And he said, well, neither will I answer your question. Then he turns right around and he tells them, he answers their question. He says, there was a man who was uh, built a winery and uh, he lent it out to husbandmen and he left the country. And then he sent back, sent back labors to reap his reward. And so they beat him up and sent him away. And he says, well, I'll send more out. They beat them up, kill some of them. 
He says, I'll send my sons. Surely they will, re- they will reverence him. And they crucified him. Or they killed him. And all of a sudden they're saying, wait, whoa, whoa. Well, wait. Oh, first he says, what would, what would you do what, if you were that man? Why, we would go there and we would kill those husbandmen and we'd give it out to the vineyard to somebody else. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute. We're that husbandman. Then the two sons, he says about John the Baptist, he says, John came preaching to harlots repentance and to tax collectors and they repented but you didn't he says a man had two sons he says to one son go here and do this for me and the son says I am not and then he gets to thinking about it and he says okay I'll do it then he goes to the second son, do this and do that. Yeah, I go, sir. I go, sir. But he didn't do it. He says, which one of them was, did the will of the father? Well, the one that did it, you know. And he says, yeah, you came, you came to John the Baptist and didn't believe him. But while the harlots and, and the tax collectors, and the, they repented, the drunks and They're beginning. You see what the transition is going here? He is, it's not, there's more than just a couple of parables. He is laying out why God's taking it from you and giving it to them in the halls of the Gentiles. Do you see that? And it's like, this is, transition-wise, this is the best Day of our lives. You get it? You get it? This is what we were created for. He has, he has four things that he brings out. One is the priesthood of the believer. One is the restoration of the tabernacle of David. One is crushing Satan's head. And the other one is loving the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. Those are the four themes that are brought out. And it is bringing out, this is, this is being taken away from the Jews and given to the Gentiles. These things. The firstborn right. That's why I was not mistaken when I said, given back to the Gentiles. Because, see, that's what was actually happening. It was being given back to us, Edom representing us. So we would have, these, this is what God created you for, to be a priest unto him. The priesthood of the believer. First Peter, First Peter uh, 2.9. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, a royal priesthood that you should show forth the praises of God, tabernacle of David, praises of God. Later on, I I could have read verse 20, it talks about how, have you never read, when they say, 
Do you not hear what these people are saying? He says, have you never read that out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, thou hast ordained strength? Actually, Jesus says perfected praise. You know what one of the, you know how God works everything? Do you know that God, did you know that Alexander the Great, when he came into Jerusalem, stopped at the, the, the outer things, the priest came out to meet him. He was in the habit of learning all that he could learn about his opponents. And so he would go in and he would have people go in and study their, uh, even their religion. And then they would come back and he had them come back to him and say what their religion was. And he says, their God is God. And instead of destroying the city, he said, may I come in and offer up a sacrifice to your God? And they said, okay. And he came in and offered, and then he left, and he left a, a garrison back to protect them from the, 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 the people that would follow in him and, and ransack the, the towns. Now, why is that important? Well, for, for starters, he converted all languages into the same language. It was Greek. And so the first book, it was the first beginning where the people could actually study the Word of God because it was written in Greek. It was called the Septuagint. So they took Greek scholars from each tribe to come in and translate. Now when he translates it, he and this is something important because God gets his word across. Have you never read that out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. That's what he says. What it says in the Hebrew is ordained strength. Which is it? Perfected praise or ordained strength? Yes. It is both. Uh, Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemy that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. That's what it says in Psalm 8, verse 2. What do you think it means to still the enemy? To shut his mouth. You know how to shut the devil's mouth? Put your heel in it. Bruise your heel. Do you understand? That's, That's the verse he's quoting. And how do you do that? Perfected praise. How do you perfect praise? Well, the verse first, that's Psalm 8 too. Psalm 8, 1, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set that glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, thou hast ordained strength that thou... And what do you have there? You have the people, he's talking about the people saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. He's also talking about right there in Psalm 8, verse 2, crushing the devil's head. The restoration, the authority to crush Satan's head is given to us. Now, are we going to appreciate it? Or are we going to be like Esau? What good is it if I'm not 
You know, what good is that? If I die, if I'm dead, what good is that? That's what Esau said. Well, it's getting restored back to Esau. And we're the recipients of that. We're the residue of God. There was a residue of God in you. Hello? So we shout praise to our God and to his name. And we still the enemy. We shut his mouth, bruise his head, crush him with our heels. All of this is happening in these two days to be consummated by the crucifixion and the resurrection. Wherever there's a a life, there's an empty grave, as we sung a while ago. Hello. Have you never read that out of the mouths of babes and sucklings? We have been called to be priests unto God, to be worshipers in the tabernacle of David, to crush Satan's head, and to love our Lord with all our heart, mind, body, soul, strength. You notice here's something, I just want to end with this. Mary starts off the Magnificat. My soul starts off with the two words. My soul. Suke. Right? We get the word psychic from it. The soul is the, the seat of the soul is our will, our emotions, and our intellect. Those are the seats of our soul. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Kind of reminds me of the psalmist saying, Soul, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, soul, bless the Lord. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And my spirit is exalted in God my Savior. You see, when we choose to worship Him, when we choose to praise Him. Hallelujah. Amen.